The Guardian. The leaders of both parties in both chambers have reached an agreement that will reduce the deficit and avoid default. A default that would have had a devastating effect on our economy. Back from the brink, the US steps away from a catastrophic default, but has the damage already been done? This is The Business from The Guardian, and I'm Ditch Chakraborty. Also this week, Europe's got its own debt crisis. It began in Greece, but now it's spreading to Spain and Italy too, as Europe's troubled south continues to frighten the financial markets. Joining me to discuss this, I've got The Guardian's financial columnist, Niels Prattley, The Observer's foreign affairs specialist, Peter Beaumont, and on the line from Washington, The Guardian's Richard Adams. Welcome to you all. The are 269, the nays are 161. Uh, the bill is passed and without objection, a motion to reconsider is laid on the table. Well, they got there in the end. A deal has been done between Democrats and Republicans to stave off a technical default by the world's largest economy. Meanwhile, unemployment in the US is running at or near record levels and economic growth is slow and has just been revised downwards. Crucially, it means that the two parties won't have to renegotiate a borrowing limit for another two years. That is, until after next year's election. Niels Prattley, let's begin with you. Has this entire episode damaged the credibility of America on financial markets? Uh, I think it has, actually. Uh, the, uh, I mean, the, the dance around the question of um, whether to raise the debt ceiling, we all, we all assumed it would be uh, resolved and um, a deal would be done uh, as it looks, it has been. But I think running up so close to the deadline and revealing uh, the depth of the division between Republicans and Democrats and the divisions within those parties is, is damaging. I think people, uh, financial investors, um, look at the US and they wonder whether just a sticking plaster has been applied and um, ask how is this debate going to be resolved on a permanent basis? I mean, to European eyes, it does look as if tax rises um, on the rich and on um, uh, American corporates have got to be one element of, uh, of a long-term solution. And you, you look at the debate and you wonder, how is America going to get to that position? In the meantime, of course, uh, we wait to see whether the American debt is downgraded. And uh, I think it will be. And I think that will have you know, heightened fears again. OK, so you've just raised this idea of the AAA credit rating that the American government has got. America actually losing that. What do you think the ramifications that would be, both in America and around the world? Well, I think short term, I think everybody, or the consensus at least, says the fallout would be quite modest because nobody, people don't have anywhere else to run to. Um, you know, dollar assets are still um, dollar assets, and you know, people perceive America as a haven. Uh, it can print money. The Fed owns its um, printing presses. So I think the, the investors' instinct to run towards American assets and run towards the do- dollar will be will be there for a while. Long term, though, you do you do wonder. I mean, people will, people's investment mandates may have to change to allow them to own non-AAA American debt. And I think there will be, over a period of time, an exploration of the alternatives. And I think in the end, that has got to be bad for American America's ability to borrow cheaply. What do you mean, the alternatives? 
Well, the, you now uh, suggesting well, you we're all going to buy you Euros could go to debt. Russia, that lovely, <laughs> lovely currency called the euro. Um, well, I mean, it is remarkable. I mean, clearly the process is not going to be simple, but I think it is remarkable that the UK and the US are currently borrow, can borrow at 10-year rates pretty much the same. Little old indebted Britain is seen as a, as creditworthy as uh, rich, uh, dynamic, entrepreneurial America. And I think that sort of relative judgment does say quite a lot that, that people are changing their perceptions about America. Richard Adams in Washington, bring it back home. What's the political implications of the deal? Oh, well, the political implications are that, uh, I mean, in the short term, remarkably little. I mean, the, the, the headline is a deal was done, and that's what most people will be interested in hearing, and they won't really be too interested in the details. Uh, and, of course, none of these cuts, or just a tiny percentage of, of the cuts that are being discussed, will uh, take place in fiscal year 2012 uh, by the time of the next election. And there's, there's a reading of this deal, which is this face-saving exercise by both sides. Both the Republicans really didn't want to make serious cuts before the 2012 election because they didn't want to be the party that killed you know, Medicare and unemployment benefits and things like that. And uh, the Democrats, or the, certainly the White House, didn't want to be a sort of play on who lost China is who lost the AAA. Uh, so they didn't want to be tagged as, you know, economically incompetent. So, uh, you know, both sides, the Republican leadership and the Democratic leadership, are, I would imagine, relatively happy with the outcome and the worst case scenarios for either of them hasn't happened. So uh, the political implications, I think, are, are in the short term, I mean, up until November the 6th, 2012, uh, are pretty limited. Peter Bowen, I'm going to come to you, but before we do, I just want to play a couple of Vox Pops from American voters. I'm mad and I'm just extremely disappointed uh, at the state of our government and how it's descended to a point of gridlock where nothing gets done. I think they need to work for our country and not for their own political parties. And I know that they are represented by their constituents. But when I vote for a leader, it's not to do what I want. It's to do what's best for this country. Right now, I think we're going to start paying for it, not in money, but in, well, yeah, in hardship, real sooner than we think. Peter, where do you think the, the kind of the crisis over negotiating how much America can borrow where do you think that leaves voters um in relation to their own state i'm no i was recently in minnesota uh where my in-laws live and uh they've just you know a few weeks ago went through a shutdown over a similar similar kind of uh, stalled budget negotiation actually shut down all the parks and museums for, for a fortnight and you know i've got in-laws there who are both republicans and democrats and you hear the same thing you know in 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 minneapolis about this which i think is a good good reflection and a good good barometer which is you know everyone was furious about that i mean what they wanted was something that was was far close to the center than these very sectarian partisan debates that have been going on and uh, what you know what what my feeling is is that republicans i know feel as though you know there has been uh, a leveraging of the republican party by people to, to to the far right and they're not happy with it just in the same way as as you know democrats are, uh, have been bothered about it and you wonder where this will go and whether this is just a historic blip in u.s politics is there i mean just to just to pick on what you said and put that together with what richard said is there a way of reading this debt crisis as being a victory for the Tea Party in the end? 
I think so. I mean, from what from what I read and what I feel, I think that that you you probably can say that because they've they've pushed they've pushed Obama towards making decisions that he didn't really want to make, and uh, you feel as though there has been something of a failure of leadership there. I mean, there's been a tremendous sort of um, short-term memory lapse in this. I mean, you know, people are talking about not wanting tax rises. I mean, they're still paying for the tax cuts that came under the Bush era, which cost, I mean, getting on, th- getting on now for $3 trillion. Richard, just pick up on that. Where, where does all this leave the, the centre ground in American politics? Well, uh, the Republican Party has shifted significantly to the right in the last um, 20 years, and and this is now more and more obvious. Uh, but the, the Republicans are also remarkably nimble at uh, bobbing off their their more rabid constituents uh, with the sort of deals that we've seen here. Uh, now, the Tea Party, believe me, the Tea Party do not think this is a victory. The Tea Party think that they have been fobbed off. Uh, Rush Limbaugh actually said that the reason why liberals were complaining about it so much was to was to um, it was a ruse to try and trick the Republicans into backing the deal. So, uh, I mean, once again, uh, the, the Republican leadership have, uh, as they have done very successfully on mainly on social issues, have managed to uh, sort of uh, keep their keep the far right of their party uh, moderately happy with sort of smoke and mirrors. Um, I mean, what the outcome will be. You know, no one knows. But again, this is, you know, it would depend on the outcome of the 2012 election. But no, the Tea Party is not happy. Most of the Tea Party wanted to vote against uh, this deal. And uh, a lot of them see it as a typical Washington compromise in which the right didn't get what it, what it really wanted, which was what it wanted was cuts now, not cuts, not cuts next year, not cuts over 10 years, not cuts being made by some bipartisan commission. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what they've ended up with, which is actually the pretty typical uh, solution that Washington offers in these situations. Um, you're talking about cuts next year. One thing that we know from British experience is that when you have cuts announced in the future, those programmes which are in the foreign line start to get wound up. Do we know which services will be cut or, or which taxes would be raised well, this is left up to, a large amount of this is going to be left up to uh, what's being called a super committee, which is uh, going to be 12 members of Congress who will be nominated by, three members of which will be nominated by the various parts. So the, the House Democrats will nominate three, the, the Republicans and the Senate will nominate three and so forth. And they, they are to task with finding um, one and a half uh, trillion roughly in, in savings. Uh, so then the question is what, what they identify. And uh, so this is, again, I mean, you know, the headline says cuts, but there are, there are no details because, obviously, if there were details of cuts, then uh, people would be unhappy about those and, and they might not vote for them. So uh, it's, it's pretty vague and intentionally so. OK, final question to all three of you. Let's start with Nils. Nils, America was the last giant country, last big economy that was holding out against fiscal contraction. And one way to read the kind of the big picture economics of this is that all around the world now you have economies which are deciding that they're going to not so much expand their economies, they're going to contract them. Is, that, is this the end of an, of an era of kind of semi of Keynesianism light of, of att- attempting to do fiscal stimulus? Well, it could certainly work out that way. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's a theory that, you know, 
what we're seeing with the, the quantitative easing programmes is really, you know, there's one reading that says what's really been going on is an attempt to get some inflation into these economies by stimulating inflation in the East, making the uh, the Far East suffer wage increases uh, with their currencies pegged to the dollar, and that some of that inflation uh, will spill back into, into the West, and at the same time that the West Western economies will become more... Uh, more competitive vis-a-vis the East. Now, clearly, and that, if we're going to stop going down that path, then probably the game does change a little bit. I I suspect sooner or later we will get more QE and then that game will be invigorated again. I mean, what it, you know, because the great hope here for if you're a policymaker is the little bit of gentle inflation in your economies. You might have anemic real growth, but you can get nominal growth if um, you've got a bit of sort of gentle inflation washing through your economies, which makes the numbers work a bit easier. So I suspect we'll probably get uh, more QE coming down the line further. Whether QE is you regard as Keynesian or not is another question. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, the the economics, I'm not such a great expert. I mean, but in terms of the politics, you know, the one thing I'd want to say about all this is that, you know, the, the failure of the Tea Party in many respects is a failure of politics. I mean, politics is about compromise and negotiation, and they're not interested in compromise and negotiation. And that's what you have to do if you want to have any influence on, on, on any kind of government or governance. And that's why they probably don't in the long term have much of a future. Richard, uh, last word goes to you. Is this the second death of Keynesianism? Um, well, that assumes there was a rebirth <laughs> in the first place. Uh, I, I mean, I think everything Neil said is absolutely correct. Uh, the other thing I would say is that, uh, uh, as you said in, when you prefaced this question, a, a fiscal contraction was inevitable in the United States anyway, and, and this is part of that. So that in itself is not surprising, and you could even say that the contraction that's come up with is relatively mild, so, I mean, certainly compared to what we've seen in some parts of Europe. So perhaps it's not so bad from that point of view. Yes, on the other hand, uh, if we see growth returning in 18 months, the picture will look very different, and I suspect uh, a lot of the cuts that are being talked about as part of this deal won't actually happen. But that's obviously dependent on what the political situation is and, of course, what the economic situation is in 18 months' time. Well, let's leave Washington there for now and return to Europe. The Garden has been running a special week of features on Greece this week and Peter Beaumont's just back from Athens. Peter, what did you make of how the austerity and the Eurozone debt crisis and all the kind of high financial political wrangling has gone down in Athens? I I think... Uh, the thing that struck me was I was actually shocked by how much worse it was than I expected it to be. Uh, I didn't expect to see so many closed down businesses. When I spent um, two or three days going around the health system, both private and public, I didn't expect to see ordinary Greek people uh, at a clinic that was set up to deal with destitute immigrants because they can't afford to use the health system. Uh, I was shocked to to meet people who had been uh, working as chefs or labourers who had been put under so much pressure after they'd lost their jobs that they were living at uh, a homeless hostel that usually dealt with people with uh, drug and um, mental health problems. It's it's much much more bad than you think it is, and uh, I, I I I'm in a way I, I'm not even sure. You know what the answer is. The more austerity is, and the more austerity measures there are, you know, the more pain there's going to be. I mean, people aren't spending money at all at the moment, and it's it's it seems like the the whole country is caught in a in an economic catch twenty two situation at the moment. Did you get any sense of how 
the politics it would play out of how people felt about the government, whether they were willing to blame George Papandreou, the Prime Minister, directly, or whether they saw this as kind of Europe, Europe's own plan imposed upon them. I mean, I heard both. I mean, when I went to go and see unemployed shipyard workers down in Parama, I heard complaints both about Europe and also about the government. I didn't hear anyone, either either amongst people who you would imagine would normally support the government uh, or amongst people who were you would expect to oppose the government who said anything nice about the government. I mean, everyone is in the same boat together. You know, people who've got businesses and have got a bit, a bit of money, i.e. Uh, naval architects who design luxury yachts are talking about getting out. People who can't get out uh, have absolutely no time and say, look, Greek politics is absolutely bankrupt. And it, it, I mean, there is no there is no faith either in the Greek political system to de- develop uh, to to deliver on uh, a program that can actually rescue the country, and and not much sympathy for for the way in which the EU operates and the kind of constraints it's put Greece under. What I find really interesting about what you said is that Greece has got penciled into its schedules another three years of this, and it gets worse from here on. And already what you're talking about is people who've lost out in the last couple of years since the economic crisis began. This is before we get into real serious fiscal austerity. I mean, Nils, I I want to bring you in here. This is the week in which the OECD praised Greece's programme to bring down its deficit as impressive and said if it can do this, then it will stir back uh, economic growth. But then you look at some of the details of the programme, in particular the privatisation programme. They're talking about privatising two ports, uh, an airport, privatising real estate, selling off the telecoms company, selling off the gas company, all before Christmas. Does any of this look sort of credible either logistically or, or, or politically? Well, no, it doesn't really. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think you know the impressive comment is you know it, it, it shouldn't be um, just dismissed too lightly. I mean, quite a lot has been done, but the point is, of course, that um, you know, it, it's going to be inadequate to, to to get it off done. Even if you look at the uh, uh, the latest bailout um, measures, you know, the the debt to GDP ratio is going to you know no longer going to peak at one hundred and seventy percent. It's going to peak at a at a mere one hundred and thirty percent. And you you wonder really, I mean, what's the difference? I mean, you know. Uh, it's very hard to see Greece under that, uh, uh, you know, with so little debt relief, being able to invigorate itself and uh, being able to relieve, the, you know, the hardship that's, um, that you're describing. And, and on the privatisation programme, clearly, you know, this is not a great time to be privatising assets in the first place at the time when the economy is on rock bottom and um, confidence in those assets is obviously going to be weak. So, I mean, and the schedule that you described, getting all that done by Christmas is simply not going to happen. I mean, I think it's... You know, I think the Eurozone leaders at Brussels the other week, you know, thought they were they'd done enough to make the problem go away and stop it sort of spreading into the rest of continental Europe uh, or the rest of the Eurozone. I mean, I think that's all they were trying to do. And, you know, it's not going to be enough. Well, uh, final word goes to you. What on earth is going on in Italy and Spain? Well, we, yeah, we're speaking on um, Tuesday afternoon and you know, just before we um, came up to the studio, Italian bond yields were 6.1%, um, Spanish were about 6.3%. These are levels that, you know, if, if sustained for too long, um, really uh, lead to, you know, the, the path to financial ruin for those countries because they've got an awful, awful lot of debt to roll over in uh, coming years and they're paying a lot less at the, at the moment. 
in an ideal world, the Eurozone would like their new, shiny, new European financial stability facility to jump up and um, stamp on this contagion and um, uh, cause some pain to the speculators forcing these things up. Now, that's not going to happen because the, the EFSF doesn't have the money, doesn't yet have the mandate to do those things. So it's going to be a long, long, hot summer, long, hot autumn and a pretty hot winter as they try to <laughs> fix, the, fix this out. I, I, you know, the word intractable comes to mind. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. My thanks to Niels Prattley and Peter Beaumont and earlier to Richard Adams. You can follow all of today's stories at guardian.co.uk forward slash business in the newspaper and, excitingly, on our new Amazon Kindle edition. The producer was Phil Maynard. I'm Edith Chakraborty. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.